In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool too. With an ice cold cold brew, and not just any cold brew, but one that's slow steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a drama coach to be an IT guy. Yeah, I'm having trouble logging in. I'm not buying it. Say it again. This time with feeling. I can't log in? Come on, man. I want to feel your struggle. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Now, like your life depends on it. I can't log in. Yes, we'll make an actor out of you yet. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. Hello there, welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. So, this week we have a bit of a, a fun episode. Um, I think, well, at least the game was fun on Facebook. I think you guys had a bit of a debate between you all as to which battle this was. Um, if you haven't guessed by the title, we are covering the Battle of Midway. Now, I was going to cover Pearl Harbor first. I thought, you know, Pearl Harbor happened first. Pearl Harbor's probably the more famous event. However, I was reminded by my father that Pearl Harbor celebrates its 80th anniversary next year, and I think it would be a little bit more appropriate to do it on a big anniversary. Um, so that is why we are covering the Battle of Midway. Those of you who did notice the error or not not so much the error but the uh, the way you could tell the difference between Pearl Harbor and Midway in the pictures was the aircraft carrier Yorktown at the bottom right hand side of the picture now that aircraft carrier was not at Pearl Harbor and therefore that was your giveaway it's a, a strange picture I know a lot of people thought because it's a the first or second week of December we were going to cover Pearl Harbor it would have made sense but I thought you know we'll give Pearl Harbor the justice that it deserves next year with its 80th anniversary so first things first uh, we're going to cover a little bit of housekeeping because it has been a few weeks um, since I have uh, put an episode out the reason for that is you can probably tell by my voice it isn't 100% and we're lacking a little bit of quality with that so I do apologize um you know it's the one thing with this doing these is you know you want to get the quality right and the last thing I want to be doing is putting out episodes where the quality isn't as good um so that's why we've waited a little bit for this one so first things first I want to say hello to Phoebe who is my new Patreon member thank you very much for joining I very very much appreciate that and I hope you're enjoying those Patreon episodes that 
only the Patreon members get to listen to because they are quite good. We are covering a bit of a gangster theme at the moment with Patreon, so I hope you're enjoying those. And there has been a new five-star review, so thank you very much for that. Now, I will read... Uh, I will read it out. It is quite a long one, so I'll I'll read it as quick as I can. It just says, What I love about your shows is hearing the British side of view. Many of the stories I have heard have only been in a state spin on these. Plus, I love you speaking in easy, understood words. Keep up the great work. Another update is... What I especially love about your show is the fact that you add so much information. Anyone can read the synopsis on the back of of any book, but you get the full story by opening the books. You, Dan, are the words on the page. I do like your word pictures, like your story of Guy Fawkes, keep up the great work. Daniel is one of the best historical podcasts I've ever listened to. Many times I've gone back and listened to the show a second or third time because there is so much information. I love that there is because it makes it so much more interesting and educational. And that is from Mars 9 So thank you very much for that. That is a very, very good review. Really, like I said, I always love reading the reviews, um, especially when they're complimentary to me. You know, I don't mind the derogatory ones every now and again, but I do prefer them when they're nice. So thank you very much for that one. So we are going to start with the Battle of Midway. Now, obviously, we know the story of Pearl Harbor. I believe everyone should know the story. Uh, most people know the story of how the Americans were drawn into World War Two. This story is probably the most famous naval battle that America ever fought. And, you know, the the biggest thing to remember at the start of World War II, when America entered into the war, they had the 17th largest army in the world. So we're not talking about a powerhouse nation like it is now we're not talking about the number one army in the world we're talking about the 17th best army in the world they were not a powerhouse they had very very little military might they didn't have the the um the infrastructure in place to make the weapons and to make the tanks and the airplanes and the ships and they didn't have that at the start of the war now you're talking maybe a year into the war America were churning out one aircraft carrier every month and that just goes to show how you know basically Japan woke up a sleeping giant and you know it's it's a wonder to think had they not done that had they not brought America into the war would America have gone on to be this military powerhouse that it is now you know they were almost forced into that and when they did i mean wow didn't they because you know as we know america is um possibly one of the, uh, the number one army air force navy in the world obviously being british i'm going to say that the british are probably up there with that but we'll leave that open to debate so when we look at the battle of midway the most important thing to remember is the fact that the Japanese had a lot more um, advantage, a bigger advantage than 
than the, the Americans during the war, especially at the start. They had a lot more infrastructure built, they had a lot more experience fighting, and they had a lot more equipment. You know, they had a lot more ships, they had a lot more planes, uh, they had a bigger army, and they were better trained than the Americans at the start of the war. Now, after Pearl Harbor, the uh, Admiral was replaced by Chester Nimitz. He became the new Admiral, Admiral Nimitz. Uh, most of you probably heard of him. Um, and he was basically given the task of pretty much avenging the Pearl Harbor attacks. And this is what caused some of the issues um, and what almost sparked the Battle of Midway was because what he did... Um, Obviously, as we know with Pearl Harbor, the, the Japanese pretty much destroyed the American fleet, barring four aircraft carriers. So these four aircraft carriers are all that he had really available to strike back with the Japanese. Nimitz knows that the American public want revenge for Pearl Harbor. He knows that. The problem he has is he only has four working ships at the moment and these four ships he cannot afford to lose any if he loses any more of his ships then he doesn't have a fleet he doesn't have a fleet then america are pretty much dead in the water in the pacific so he has basically a, a bit of a predicament a bit of a problem and he tries to explain obviously he can't just go out there and revenge attack because all he has are aircraft carriers they're big easy targets and you know realistically they're not very well they're not very well defended other than the aircraft on board they're not heavily gunned and he doesn't have the destroyers and the battleships to go alongside to protect them so realistically he cannot afford to send any aircraft carriers into the Pacific to attack the Japanese because if he loses anything he's in shit street basically but you know let's be honest the American people probably didn't care about this at the time President Roosevelt didn't care at the time as far as they were concerned they'd been attacked on their land and the Japanese were roaming free across the Pacific you know they were going from island to island and taking down flags and putting it up Japanese flags they were taking down American flags and um, basically you know roaming as free as they could and no one was stopping them and as far as the American population was concerned at the time they wanted a strike back so Nimitz was in a position where he had to do something the plan is to send a bombing raid into Japan's capital Tokyo now this bombing raid was uh, led by Captain James Doolittle, and every time I hear that, it makes me think of Doctor Doolittle. But we'll leave that one. Um, but yeah, he, this was the plan that they fly the bombers in, bomb Tokyo, fly through Japan and into China, and land in a, a basically an, an airfield in China that was neutral. So these guys knew that they weren't coming back immediately they had to they had to land in china now the problem with this is these aircraft as i'm sure most of you know had a long flight from america to japan and weren't going to make it 
So therefore, the only way they could do it was to launch them from an aircraft carrier. So the problem, again, you have is potentially putting one of your ships at risk. And the only way they could actually do this was by getting this aircraft carrier into Japanese waters. Again, adding another problem to the fact that you now have one of your ships in Japanese territory. So this raid, it it had potential to fail. They managed to get the aircraft carriers into Japanese water safely. And they managed to get the aircraft off the aircraft carriers and, you know, into Japanese area. And, and they do manage to bomb Tokyo. Now, these aircraft carriers are designed for smaller aircraft. And Doolittle's planes were heavy bombers. Now, these heavy bombers are not designed for carrier runways. They're designed for a long runway with a big run up and a gradual lift off the earth they weren't designed to go off the edge of a ship and up they they just they, they very really really struggle to get them off the carrier if you i believe you can still see the video well yeah, i know you can see the video because i've seen it of these aircraft taking off the carriers and you can actually watch it as it gets off the runway it dips down as if it's about to just plummet off the end of the boat in, or off the end of the ship into the sea um, because obviously they were so heavy it didn't look like they were actually going to make it they did make it, they got off the off the ground and they did manage to bomb Tokyo now the damage that they caused was purely you know, more sentimental than anything they didn't cause a huge amount of damage to the capital um, and the you know the loss of life wasn't huge, but it, it did spark the Japanese to realize that the Americans weren't just gonna lie down and and take it. You know, the problem they had by doing that was the Japanese admiral was a, a man named Admiral Yamamoto. Um, he was the man who orchestrated the Pearl Harbor attacks. Um, or at least helped out from the Navy side of it. Obviously, a lot of the planes had to go off aircraft carriers for Pearl Harbor. Um, he helped to orchestrate that. And he was also involved in, obviously, the Battle of Midway, which is what we're going to get to. He maintained, right from the end of Pearl Harbor, that the only way to defeat the Americans completely was to destroy the remaining ships that they had. Now... The Japanese higher command refused to do this and they didn't believe that the, the Americans were a threat. Obviously, when the Americans managed to bomb Tokyo, they realised that actually Yamamoto was right and they did need to stop the Americans. So this is why the Battle of Midway actually happened because Yamamoto had to draw these aircraft carriers out to destroy them because as far as he was concerned and as far as Japan was now concerned the only way to stop the Americans in the Pacific was to take out their ability to fight in the Pacific so they kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit by doing it because if they hadn't have done that the Japanese probably wouldn't have retaliated in in such a way obviously hindsight is a wonderful thing it was a very headline grabbing 
um, statement and it rallied the Japanese and the American people into the war a lot more now with this um, bombing raid like I said it did it didn't do a huge amount of damage to Tokyo it was like I said it was more more symbolic than anything but they did have three bombs that landed in the Emperor's palace in Tokyo now the Emperor in Japan is basically seen as one step down from God they are seen in a holy light and pretty much irreplaceable whereas obviously I know it's a a strange situation I know a lot of America especially right now um, but if the president dies realistically you just replace them with the vice president if the vice president dies so on and so forth there's a list and it's the same in England with the the prime minister if the prime minister dies it goes to the deputy and so on and so forth so there's um the you know it's not that it's not a problem but almost you know if if they die it's not necessarily seen as a huge tragedy whereas if the emperor dies in japan it's um it's really really bad now not only is it that bad the entire um japanese high command should the emperor die in a attack so an attack like this where they potentially could have prevented it if they'd have known about it or at least done something to fight back at the time which they didn't if the emperor was actually killed then the japanese mentality on that would be that they had all failed in their job especially the high command and in japanese culture um, i'm not sure if this is still the case but i know back then the case in japanese culture was if something like this happened and you were indirectly responsible you were to take your own life so you would have seen should the emperor have been killed a complete mass suicide of the whole japanese upper you know upper generals and obviously this would then have changed the complete face of the war obviously that's not what happened but it did rally the japanese people behind this you know this vitalized attack on the americans because they were this close to killing their emperor so now yamamoto comes up with this plan that he's going to attack the american base at midway now midway is a extremely important refueling base for the americans and it is a you know it's it's a small island uh, two islands very very small sort of halfway between hawaii and japan so these islands hold a bit of a bit of ground and they you know they potentially could be important and strategic for um japan to to keep hold of the war now the reason he picks these islands is because they are a huge distance from hawaii and hawaii is where the aircraft carriers are still being stored in pearl harbor so what he thinks is if we attack midway take control of midway the aircraft carriers are going to have to come out of their base and once they're out of there 
we can destroy them once we've destroyed the aircraft carriers the americans don't have a pacific fleet they don't have a pacific fleet they can't fight japan is safe that's the plan kind of makes sense this is where we underestimate the importance of intelligence when it comes to warfare the japanese had this plan in secret and the intelligence is what made the americans decipher the codes and help and you know prepare in advance that the attack was going to happen at midway and obviously if they can preempt the japanese the japanese think they're going to get to midway and lure the americans out if the americans are already there then the entire tide of the the battle shifts to the americans because now they've lost that surprise element now before yamamoto initiates his plan for midway he has a an attack that that the japanese are carrying out at port moresby in uh, papua new guinea it's just a general attack they're they're there trying to take ground they were trying to defeat um the australians and you know try and help in that side sense of the war when they're there they come across the two two of the four u.s aircraft carriers the uss lexington and the uss yorktown so now Yamamoto has an opportunity to half the American fleet. You've got to remember, they've only got four ships. He's encountered two of them where they shouldn't be. So he now has an opportunity to half their fleet and to make this attack on Midway even easier. So this battle commences between the Japanese fleet and the Lexington and Yorktown. Now, the disadvantage the Americans have is they are outnumbered. They are outgunned. They are outplaned. I don't know if that's the right word, but they are. They're outplaned. The the Japanese have more planes, and this is the first time ever in history that two naval forces will fight without ever seeing the ships. You know, the Japanese never saw these ships. The Japanese ships never saw the ships. It was their planes that spotted it and the Lexington and Yorktown never spotted the Japanese fleet. Now, the Americans managed to severely damage two of the Japanese aircraft carriers, but they didn't manage to sink any. Obviously, these these boats managed to list back to Japan and were fixed. Now, the Japanese managed to severely damage the Yorktown to the point where they actually believed they'd sunk it, and they did manage to sink the Lexington. So, at this point, the Japanese have believed that they've halved Nimitz's fleet, and in reality, they've only taken a quarter of it away. But they have actually caused the damage that the Jap- that they wanted to cause. You know, the Japanese have lost no ships, and the Americans have lost one. Now, the the tide of Midway, the tide of this entire battle it almost looks unwinnable for the americans at the moment they've got a much smaller fleet they've got less planes they've got no battleships no cruisers and the japanese have just sunk one of their ships one of the four ships they had so it really doesn't look good for the americans right now and it really does 
put a real big spanner in Nimitz's work. The Yorktown does manage to get back to Pearl Harbor. When it gets there, um, it, they're told that it's going to take about six months to repair and get back onto, you know, back to being seaworthy. And Admiral Nimitz turns around and says, "You have three days to get it back in the water." And they did. They they worked day and night, and they got that. They got the Yorktown back in the water in three days. So Yamamoto now believing he's destroyed half of the American fleet decides to put his plan in action for Midway and the plan is what they're going to do is they're going to send the aircraft carriers in they're going to bomb Midway decimate the island and then they're going to send in a few ships with ground troops to take control of the island and this will spark the Americans to leave Pearl Harbor travel over a thousand miles to Midway and when they get there they'll be met by the aircraft carriers and they will also be met by um, Yamamoto's battleships that will be at the start stationed 300 miles away from Midway where they can't be seen, where they can't be spotted but then obviously by the time that the they know the Americans are on the move the battleships will be on the move as well and the, they'll be set in a trap and basically if this goes off the way they're planning it to the Americans don't stand a chance so Yamamoto is going to be stationed in the battleships 300 miles away and the man in charge of the carrier fleet is Vice Admiral Nagumo now Nagumo and Yamamoto don't get on they're not good uh, they're not allies they're not friends um but Nagumo is placed in that position because he is the most senior officer at the time and the best man for the job. Now, the one thing to bear in mind with Vice Admiral Nagumo is he is a strict officer in the sense that they have a battle plan, a warfare battle, and he does everything the way he's told to do it everything he does is by the book he will not deviate from the book he will do everything in the way the rules are set out and this really costs him at the battle of midway the fact that he does not allow himself to deviate from his course causes the problems that the japanese face at midway now he believes that when he gets to Midway he's got about three days before the Americans arrive this is enough time for him to basically take control of the sea around the area and his planes can take control of the skies around Midway as well so three days is the plan of action the only way the Japanese are going to get three days is if the Americans don't know in advance what's happening now you'll remember at the start of the episode me explaining how important intelligence is the Americans had a unit called Hypo which were designed to decipher Japanese radio messages and the man in charge was a man named Joseph Roachfoot now he was what we would call a bit of an eccentric a bit of a strange man and in this instance because of that he was sort of looked upon in a in a, 
a negative way I suppose people didn't tend to trust him or listen to him and even though he knew a lot of things and was very very good at what he did he wasn't he wasn't someone that people were going to go oh yeah 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 let's listen to him now they managed to decrypt a code that said there was going to be an attack on a base with the code name AF Alpha Foxtrot for those of you who can't understand my accent now AF is a, a military base but they don't know where now Roachfoot has a photographic memory he spent a lot of time in Japan so he actually lived in Japan and he was aware of a radio conversation between a pilot um, that they intercepted a few months beforehand and he believes that AF is Midway so he racks his brains he says right it's definitely Midway and he knows the Japanese culture he knows how the Japanese think he's lived there he knows the people and he is certain that AF means Midway this is where the attacks come in they are going to attack Midway and the Americans need to be ready so he goes through his chain of command and he is basically told to go away they're not interested in it they're not interested in his thought his plans because they don't want to send their entire fleet bearing in mind they only have three aircraft carriers anyway they don't want to send their entire fleet to Midway if there's no proof that AF means Midway as you can understand you know AF could mean anywhere you know he's got no proof that AF is Midway so why would they risk pulling their ships out of where they're safe and sending them somewhere where they're potentially not without any proof now he actually contacts Nimitz himself he finds a way to contact Nimitz and he says I know this is where they're going to attack and Nimitz says well we need proof we need proof before we do it so they send a fake message from Midway to suggest that the base in Midway is running low on water from that they then listen to Japanese radio messages and they find a Japanese radio message that says that AF is running low on water well there's your proof they've heard now over the radio the Japanese talking to each other saying AF that's Midway is low on water now Nimitz knows that's where they're going to attack so he prepares his fleet without the Japanese knowing the Japanese have now lost the element of surprise so they may have lost the element of surprise but they are still slightly ahead of the Americans now what they do they send their planes in to attack Midway as planned you've got to remember at this point the Japanese don't realise that the Americans know what's going on so they're attacking these these islands they send in roughly 250 planes you know this is a big big attack this is off four aircraft carriers they're sending in these planes one after the other after the other bombing this island and they look down and they notice that one of the main targets that they're looking for is the american bomber planes that are stationed on the island but they're not there the reason the aircraft aren't there or the bombers aren't there is because they'd already been scrambled before 
the Japanese got there because they knew they were coming. Now, this would think would give the upper hand to the Americans. The problem is they are heavy bombers. Now, heavy bombers drop their bombs from a very high height, roughly 20,000 feet, maybe more. Now, for these bombs to drop from 20,000 feet, they take a long time. The Japanese will have watched these bombs fall, and as soon as they fell, they turned the ship. Now, normally, with a dive bomber or a torpedo bomber, they don't have the time for this. With a heavy bomber, they've got enough time to move these big ships away from the bombs. So, although the Americans might have had the advantage of surprise, they have lost that advantage because they can't actually hit these Japanese aircraft carriers. Not only that, the Japanese scramble their fighter planes and for those of you who don't know what the Japanese fighter plane is, it is the Zero. The Zero was possibly one of the best aircraft in the Second World War. They were quicker, they were more manoeuvrable, and they had more ammunition than most aircraft at the time. They were a lot better, and their pilots were a lot better trained. The element, the, the sort of element of surprise that the Americans had, was totally wasted. The bombers did nothing, and a lot of them got shot down by these zeros. Really, wasn't a good time at the at that time. The battle was really, really in the Japanese hands. Nagumo now wants to destroy anything left on Midway. Some of the most of the bombers have returned to Midway. He wants to destroy Midway now, and he realizes that the bombers he has on his ships are attack, uh, armed with torpedoes because the plan is obviously to draw the American Pacific fleet out and then to send in your torpedoes and to you know attack the ships the plan wasn't to really to kill everyone on midway the plan was to take out the American fleet so all of his bombers are armed for sea battle not for air air and land battle so he orders all of his planes to be switched to ground attack weapons so they can take all the torpedoes out and replace them with ground bombs. This is going to take roughly two hours to do that. So once Nagumo's made this decision, he's played his hand, he's made that, he's committed to attacking Midway again. And About half an hour later, they receive a message over the radio from one of their scout planes and they've spotted an American ship, an American naval ship in the area, but they're not sure what ship it is. So Nagumo wants this confirmed, so he takes a bit of time, send another scout plane up there, and they confirm that they have actually found American aircraft carriers in the area. Now the problem he has is, one, he's not expecting the Americans to be there, not for at least another three days, and two... He's rearming all of his aircraft to attack the ground, not to attack naval ships. So he's in a situation now where he's halfway through rearming his ships. He can't send... You know, he's, he's really struggling to make a decision on what he's got to do next. His mind is telling him, you know, we need to attack Midway because that's the decision he's made. But then also... 
he's got to remember that the whole plan itself was to take out the naval ships. And they are very confused by the fact that the Americans are there. They don't understand how the Americans have made it to Midway before them, how they've lost that element of surprise. They're even more shocked to see that not only is the USS Hornet an enterprise there, but the Yorktown is there as well, the ship that they thought they'd sunk earlier in the year, or earlier in the month. So the Japanese have four aircraft carriers. I'm going to try and pronounce the names. It's the Hiryu, the Kaga, the Soryu, and the Akagi. I may have pronounced that wrong, but I'm not sure. If I have, I have. It's tough. That's how I pronounce it. The Americans have got their three um, three aircraft carriers, and they also have the island of Midway. So if they need to land in an emergency, they also have that island, which the Japanese don't have. So they, you know, it's almost four on four. Nimitz decides to strike first. They basically clear the decks. They send all their torpedo bombers up, and they send all their dive bombers up. Now, dive bombers work at a higher altitude and take off after the torpedo bombers. Now, the torpedo bombers is pretty much a suicide mission. They are very, very unlikely to return. And, the you know, it's a very hard job to go and do when you know potentially you're not going to come back. But the torpedoes are the best chance of taking out the aircraft carriers. Had the Americans had a decent torpedo, which they didn't, this torpedo was tested and tested and tested on on every test that it was done. It only detonated one in ten times. So these torpedo bombers had to get very close to to the ships to actually release and then when they released they only really had a 1 in 10 chance of actually hitting the aircraft and, and exploding it was very unlikely that they were going to do any damage not only that the japanese had the zeros on their on their deck just ready to attack and it it was almost a it was a really bad decision to send in the torpedo bombers basically you would think, in this instance, Nagumo would retaliate with his own torpedo bombers. The issue Nagumo has is, like I said before, he is a by-the-book commander. At the moment, half of his ships are armed with torpedoes, half of his ships are below deck, armed with ground-attack weapons. The Japanese war book says that you cannot attack unless you have a fully a full group of planes that are fully ready to attack. He doesn't. He has half for one and half for the other. So instead of sending the torpedo bombers that he has, which would cause some damage, or potentially cause some damage, he waits again to rearm all of his his planes ready with torpedoes and with, with naval attack weapons so again he's waiting and this again gives the Americans the advantage Nagumo is 
very, very by the book, very strict, and he won't break the rules. So when he gives the order to rearm the planes yet again, the Japanese are rushing around. They're in these hangars below deck, and instead of storing the ground attack weapons properly, they're just shoving them to one side. You know, they're trying to get this done as quickly as possible. They're taking these bombs out and just putting them at the side. They're refueling the planes underneath the the deck. They're not really paying attention to what they're doing and pretty much giving the bottom of the deck, the hangar, which is literally just below the runway on, on an aircraft carrier. And let's remember, at these times, these decks were made of wood. The top deck was made of wood. It's very easy for a bomb to pierce through that. Should a bomb get through and explode into the hangar bay, if the if there's fuel around on the floor and the previous bombs haven't been stored properly, that ship's not surviving for very long. And this is something that the Japanese didn't really pay attention to because they were rushing to get these ships rearm. Uh, sorry, to get these planes rearmed to get them off the ships to attack the U.S. Navy. So the the American torpedoes, we'll go back to them, because at this point, the torpedo squadrons are the ones that are in the battle. They have found the Japanese fleet, and they're making their attacks. They are under-armoured, under-weaponed. They are being chased by, like I said, possibly the best fighter aircraft in the Second World War. They're being attacked by the ships on the uh, on the sea, and they're not coordinating very well. These attacks aren't—they're not a coordinated attack of one plane after the other after the other, because there's so much fire going on, um, and so much you know attack on these uh, torpedo planes. They really don't have the chance to to coordinate anything, and. You know, the first squadron that returns from this attack on these ships, there's only one man that survives. The other two squadrons are fear no better. Um, out of the three squadrons that fly out, only four planes make it back to to the, the aircraft carriers. So that just goes to show how these the torpedo planes were just not well equipped for this and pretty much every single torpedo pilot was sent out there to die basically they you know they they knew that they knew that their their plane wasn't good enough they knew that their torpedoes weren't good enough um these pilots knew realistically that they weren't coming back and to be in that sort of a situation because these were these planes were full of fuel and explosives so when they were shot they didn't just fall out of the sky nicely, they exploded um, would have been a horrible way to die and these guys knew that they weren't coming back so to actually have the courage to get in your plane and go and fly knowing that you're not coming back must have been well 
It's amazing. The courage is amazing. How they managed to do it is beyond me. To make matters worse for the Americans at this point, their dive bombers have actually gone in the wrong direction and are not anywhere near the Japanese planes. Sorry, planes, I mean Japanese ships. So now they're really, you know, they're sitting ducks, really. They really do look like this battle is over and the Japanese are just going to walk away with the victory. The Japanese are winning. Uh, you know, on the let's let's put it into perspective how quickly this changes. So the Japanese are winning. They've got rid of the American torpedo threat. That's now non-existent. The American dive bombers are nowhere to be seen. The Japanese are nearly ready to send off all their torpedo bombers, and they're sending them into aircraft carriers that are pretty much sitting ducks. Like I said, they're pretty much there, just waiting to be blown out of the water. So at 10.25 in the morning, June the 4th, 1942, the Japanese look like they are about to destroy the American Navy. However, five minutes later, 10.30, the Japanese look like they're about to lose the war, or lose the battle. And this is where it gets very interesting. One of the American squadrons spots a battleship in the area and decides to follow it. As he follows it, the rest of the squadron go with him. Now, at this point, you've got to remember that these planes have been up in the air a very long time. They're running low on fuel. And now they're deciding to follow a ship that could potentially take them to another ship and to another ship and so on and so forth but they know with less and less fuel the chances are they're probably not going to return back to their aircraft carriers and they may have to land in the ocean but they do it they follow this ship this ship leads them to the four aircraft carriers that they're looking for and at the same time, the other missing squadron of dive bombers also meets these Japanese ships all at the same time. And to make things even easier for the Americans, prior to the Battle of Midway, the Japanese decided to paint a big red dot on the front of their ships, which is a pretty much a really, really good target for the Americans to hit. Obviously, it is to symbolize the rising sun in the east, which is Japan being the furthest east country, and it's part of their flag. But basically, that's just a big target for the Americans and a real easy one for them. It's pretty much a stroke of luck, but four squadrons of American attack planes managed to attack four Japanese carriers from two different directions and completely change the entire shift of the battle even more of an advantage to the americans is the japanese fighters have chased off the torpedo bombers and therefore are nowhere to be seen which means there is nothing stopping the american dive bombers attacking these ships now when you put into perspective like i said about these torpedo bombers although it you know, it did seem like a complete waste of life. Had they not have done that, the Japanese Zeros would have been there to take out the dive bombers. So it was a 
I would say a sacrifice that helped win the battle and in five minutes of these squadrons attacking these these ships they had they land direct hits on three of the four Japanese carriers and pretty much cripple them beyond repair one of the uh, aircraft carriers is hit by three bombs and is is set ablaze uh, the battleship uh, sorry, the battleship, the aircraft carrier Kaga is hit by more bombs than the Japanese can count, and their flagship is hit by one bomb. I remember he saying earlier about the fact that they were still changing the bombs over, they weren't putting the bombs in the right place, and it was a wooden flight deck. That one bomb straight through the wooden flight deck into the car- into the hangar and exploded and basically ripped the ship apart. And that was uh, the flagship that had had the admiral on. So the Americans had just turned the entire battle on its head, and Admiral Nagumo was forced to abandon his flagship at that point. You would think at this point the Japanese would surrender or at least return back to port. They're outnumbered three to one, three. Uh, ships now to one ship because they've got three ships that are are not available Um, but that's not the Japanese mentality so the Japanese uh, do launch a final attack from their one remaining uh, aircraft carrier which is the Hiryu the Japanese uh, the bombers that take off from the Hiryu they, they focus their attack on the USS Yorktown now they do actually cripple the ship they don't sink it but they do cripple it um, and they do take the ship out of the battle however the dive bombers from the USS Yorktown manage to do exactly the same to the Hiryu and they cripple that ship so now the Japanese have no uh, aircraft carriers available in the area and unfortunately for the Japanese Yamamoto who is 300 plus miles away in his battleships ready to attack the Americans when they arrive has only just realised that the Americans have been there the whole time and that he's lost that the battle is lost they have no aircraft carriers in the area and no way of landing their ships uh, landing their planes back on their ships the battle of Midway is over the Americans against all the odds have come out victorious they've taken and ripped the heart out of the Japanese Imperial Navy and left them basically sulking back to Japan licking their wounds and like I said this is where America kicks on this is where they then start producing one aircraft carrier every month they start producing battleships by the the plenty I mean, at one point, I think the Americans had the. Well, I know they do now, but you know, it didn't take them long to get the largest navy in the world. They really did extend their military power and their might after the Battle of Midway. And you know, the, it's amazing to think how important that battle was for the war. Because had America lost that battle and the Japanese taken control of the Pacific the Japanese would have had an easy way of taking Australia the Americans were the only 
people in the Pacific that were stopping the Japanese from taking control of Australia. Had they done that, they would then have had an easy route to expand from Australia. You know, America winning the Battle of Midway stopped the war, really, stopped the Japanese war effort completely. And it's, you know, it's a, a very, very important battle. And it's very, very important for people to know about it because it is possibly one of the greatest naval battles of all time. And it was fought by planes. It's just brilliant. And against all odds, and we British, we love an underdog story. And the Americans were definitely the underdogs in this battle. And they came out on top. So there we go. That is the Battle of Midway. I hope you all enjoyed that. I hope you all learnt something from that. Um, Like I said, it's a very, very interesting episode for me. Uh, I do enjoy doing episodes on things like this, so I will be doing more. Um, For those of you who are on Patreon, get yourselves on there, because there will be a new gangster one going up. I think we're going to cover a British gangster this time. Um, Just so you know, it's not all Americans. We do have British gangsters as well. So if you are interested in that, get yourselves over to Patreon, $5 a month, get yourselves on there and we shall hear, or you shall hear some of the new episodes that you guys don't get to hear on these channels. So get yourselves over there and you'll you'll be able to listen to my voice even more. Um, we will be playing the game again this week on Facebook. So again, if you're not on Facebook and you do listen to this podcast, get yourselves on there this week in history at uh, on facebook you can't miss us it's the same logo that you have on your on your podcast broadcaster so it'll be very easy to spot if you're not sure uh you know feel free to to email me it's twihpod at gmail.com i can talk you through the process but for now thank you for listening and just remember we all have history so make yours great bye-bye Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a stuntman to do their home renovations. Just finished the new sunroom, Mrs. C. The best part is I used candy glass for all the windows, so you can do this. And this. Doesn't hurt a bit either. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. And if you don't want to take the long way to the kitchen, the walls are breakaway too. See? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a stuntman to do their home renovations. Just finished the new sunroom, Mrs. C. The best part is I used candy glass for all the windows, so you can do this. And this. Doesn't hurt a bit either. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. And if you don't want to take the long way to the kitchen, the walls are breakaway too. See? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today.